When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. With Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Welcome everyone to Rockin' Nation Podcast. Uh, this is episode 7 of season 5 of Dive Cuts. It's still kind of weird that we've done this for five seasons. Um, I am your host, Sam Snelling. This is the Missouri Basketball Season Preview Podcast. Uh, We've made it. The season starts tomorrow. We're recording this Monday night. With me, as always, is uh, my friend, my compatriot, uh, Matthew J. Harris. Matt, how are you? It's a great time, Sam, because it means I can go through Kim Palm and put together my weekly watching schedule. It's nice to have familiar and warm routines back in my life. It's so the question, Matt, are you going to, in fact, watch Missouri play basketball despite the Champions Classic uh, kicking off at the same time? Yeah, because I blog about this particular team, so um, <laughs> it's not a professional, but a committed, uh, someone with a committed habit, I'll watch this team tip off. And who knows, I might be able to catch the back end of, catch the early part of Kansas, Michigan State, and the back end of Kentucky Duke. So there you go. I'll see parts of them. I, yeah, I think that's my plan also. Um, mainly because we've spent uh, the better part of, what is this, early November? Their season was over mid-March. So that's, that's what, like eight months? Yep. Um, the better part of those eight months talking about uh, this complete roster reset that Council Martin has sort of embarked upon. Um, there are three returning players, two of which um, played any sort of significant minutes. Uh, of course, that being Kobe Brown and Javon Pickett. Uh, Jordan Wilmore is also a guy who has some pretty good reports coming out of camp as far as like how he's been playing and the impact that he's had. He's certainly big, Matt. He's 70 pounds lighter and still big. So that's... yeah, he didn't, he didn't shrink uh, in the height department just around the middle. Yeah. That's the most important thing there. Hopefully that makes him more uh, agile uh, for however far he can stray away from the rim. But uh... I just like, I know like we all see the little, clips that like Mizzou hoop shares on Twitter. And there was just this one where he had this like left-handed dunk and it just looked like me on a nerf rim, you know? And I know it's just, it's ridiculous that you could be that big. And like the ball, I just stuck it in his left hand 
dunked it without barely jumping. It's, you know, the clip that I'm talking about. Yeah. It was in live action, so he dunked kind of on somebody. It was is pretty impressive. Yeah, I mean, he's, he's just big. stick your just stick your hand up there and <laughs> and trust your wingspan, man. Um, but no, it it's it feels weird in the sense that like you you think about the team and the hypotheticals and you know, how they could look, and tomorrow we get to actually see what they look like as a as an entity as you know uh, a group i think that that's sort of you know the hardest thing to sort of like gauge what your expectations are for opening night and i think i told you before we came on it's just you kind of just want to sit there with stat broadcast on one screen and just watch them play basketball like i think you want to be disconnected from a lot of other conversation and just sort of watch what this team is and you know tweeting is part of what we do, but I feel like tomorrow everyone would just be better just to sit there and watch this team without uh, have as few screens bothering you as possible. And just watch what this team is and then don't have any immediate reaction to it. Just sort of like let it digest and just let it wash over you. It's like a first, you know, sip of a wine, just really take it all in and just see what it is that, that this, that the staff has put together. And then, you know, let a couple games go by and then start spitting out some impressions, but that's not the world we live in. So I'm sure by the second media timeout, people will be flipping the hell out over something. Yeah, it's uh, it is one of those things. So I, don't, I actually don't know who's going to be on Twitter duty tomorrow. It'll probably be me in in some respect. Um, I feel like I I do have uh, quite a bit of those responsibilities during uh, during basketball games. And there is a, a large part of me that I like. I just like watching basketball. And as we've been talking about this team and talking about the pieces now for so long, it it is something where I I really just want to sit down and see what this is about. Uh, I don't necessarily think that we're going to see like you know the best Missouri can be uh, tomorrow night. Um, but I don't necessarily think like that's what I'm interested in. I'm interested in seeing, you know, how these pieces sort of fit together. Uh, I am curious, you know, who they're going to start. I want to know how many minutes guys are going to play. I want to know who's six, seven, eight off the bench. Uh, I want to see how many freshmen get in and for how long. Like these are all the things that I'm more curious about and and how they they play. I think I'm less worried about how they're going to play in game one and more worried about how they're going to be playing in game 20. Uh, Cause I think this is going to be one of those things is a little bit of a work in progress over the course of the season. You start, sort of start to see guys figure it out, um, you know, as the season goes on, hopefully it happens sooner before game 20. Um, you know, but I always think, you know, how you are playing at the end of the season is much more indicative of how your season went than how you play in the first game. Yeah, I I think the biggest difference is, is you know, last year when I tracked lineups, Zoe really didn't experiment all that much. Like what you saw in game one was by and large what you saw in game 12, what you saw in game 18 and you know, even to a certain extent into the NCAA tournament. So there was just there wasn't really like a lot of like, okay, what, you know, what's the hierarchy here? You know, what are the roles? We all sort of knew that. And that's the beauty of continuity. It was more or less sort of just evaluating execution for that group. And it was like, okay, we know how they want to play. We have a sense for, you know, base offense, you know, what are they, how are they doing, you know, keeping this car on the road? We have no clue even what the car looks like right now. We have no clue if this team can you know, drive it competently. It's, it's, or even, you know, who's going to be driving the car whatsoever. So it's, and we may not even know after watching them play central Michigan because no. And so the, <laughs> I think that's, that's always the thing here is, you know, the beauty, of, like I said, of the last couple of years was you kind of had a sense for how everything would fit together. And it was just, are they going to be able to optimize everything on the roster? Now I think it's just like, okay, what is, what can this roster do? And then once we figure that out, then we can sort of, I think, assess how well they do the things they're being asked to do. So it's it's going to be kind of piecemeal, but I'm excited to see what that looks like. I think this is, as we've talked about, you know, it's a reset year. And it, you know, I don't know if 
the expectations are, you know, if there's a ton of pressure this year, but in some ways there is, you know, to set this thing up for what's going to be, you know, what's going to come in, you know, 22, 23 and, and so on for, for this thing to work, you need to see some various players or pieces come together in a way that, you know, that shows, okay, this cohere this plan that they've put together is not only coherent, but it's functional. Like it works and, you know, does it, is it consistent all the time? No, but you know, like the idea here is sound and now it's just about making sure the right pieces are there and, you know, building off of it, but we need a starting point and that's what tomorrow's going to be. Yeah. And so like, there isn't pressure, like you said, but there is also, um, you know, because even though, you know, Conzo Martin has a lot of respect, um, around the country, a lot of people seem to think he's pretty awesome. Um, and he has a functional working relationship, uh, that predates Missouri, uh, with our new athletic director. Uh, you know, the, the whole thing about like this new athletic director is the fact that, you know, like she has her own initiative to make sure that, uh, your primary funding sources are, are working well. And, and so she has to take a really keen eye to the Missouri basketball program. You and I have kind of talked about like the things that we think that uh, the admin can do to kind of support basketball and, and make basketball a more competitive product, um, you know, than, than it's been for a while. But, uh, but ultimately it's, it's going to be, you know, what, what she thinks, um, you know, Desiree Reed Francois, uh, what she thinks the direction of the program is under Conzo, and if that's suitable for Missouri, um, you know, and that's why I think, like, I, I certainly don't think that Missouri is a team that has to be in the NCAA tournament this year for you to think that things are are working well um, with with the current plan. But if you're bringing back like seventy five to eighty percent of a roster next year, you're adding in you know, a top 50 level, uh, you know, four-star talent into that roster, uh, you know, and recruiting is going well in 2023, then certainly like your outlook on where Missouri is, uh, you know, maybe if they're making the tournament next year, not this year, uh, like like the, the trajectory of that program is certainly making you feel a lot better than where it was back in March as, you know, they're adding, um, you know, a bunch of guys that a lot of people don't know really anything about. Uh, and they had a, a recruiting class that, you know, while you like the long-term growth, isn't one that, that is going to wow you with any, uh, any potential lottery picks. No. And, and this is a roster that I think is meant to sort of bridge the gap there. You know, the transfers have, you know, most of them have, I think two years of eligibility left, you know, I really think, you know, you look at the four guys they brought in as sort of that bridge while the five freshmen and, you know, Aiden Shaw and Christian, you know, Jones next year sort of grow into that core. You know, that's what I think this has always been when I viewed it that way is, you know, this was, you know, instead of going out and just signing seven, six, seven, eight guys and not having the classes balanced, this was, this was always meant to be sort of a bridge program. Now we're just going to see how sturdy that is and, you know, whether those guys can hold up and do what they need to do and, you know, say whatever you want to say about where they pulled those guys from. You get the sense that Missouri likes its evaluation ability when it comes to mid-major guys and making that jump. Um, you know, I think Cash and Drew in some ways are outliers, but you've got to give the staff credit because they found guys who are outliers. So they're going to trust their evaluation skills and go get those guys. And I think that's really what tomorrow is for me. You know, the five freshmen, I think if everything's going well, you know, at most maybe Anton Brookshire is a guy that's going to be a 16 minute a night guy in the thick of the season that they need the four transfers to, to come in and show pretty good and pretty quick acclimation to, to moving up to the high major level. And that, that's really, I think what, you know, if you had to pick one thing I'll be watching, it's what does the first four or five games from that group look like? And for, you know, Central Michigan, it's really sort of a good test because it's kind of the caliber of teams. You know, it's a MAC team. You know, 
Jerron Coleman saw, you know, Central Michigan, you know, in his time at Muncie. You know, the Horizon League is comparable to the MAC, so you know, it's one where you'd expect to see Amari Davis sort of play well against this type of competition. And you know, Ryan DeGray played in a better league in the A10. So, to me, I think like the only kind of like specific player things I want to look at is the four guys that Missouri brought in to sort of I think bridge or be the guys who can sort of ease that pressure on the freshmen were picked because they thought the staff thought this group can play at the high major level and they showed that against you know this level of competition so you would expect them at least in the first two or three games to look not dominant but look comfortable and look like they can really handle themselves in that sort of setting I think the the real test is going to come with SMU but this this feels like one thing I think where you want to see over the first couple games at least the transfers get out of the blocks pretty quickly against the kind of competition he's going to see. Yeah, I think essentially what you're sort of hoping for, and our recording schedule is such that we will uh, record uh, after the UMKC game. So Missouri plays Tuesday, uh, and then they don't play again until the following Monday. Mm-hmm. Um, so what we are actually... Essentially, this is a season preview pod. Uh, we are looking at at really two games directly, but I kind of look at that first block of three games as like this is us sort of working out some kinks and and seeing things against live competition uh, in three games that they should win and win comfortably. Um, so just looking at Kempom, and this is just Missouri as the uh, 95th rated team, which I still take umbrage with the fact that for some reason Ken Palm seems to project that Missouri will field its worst defense uh, under Conzo Martin. Um, But I think you're probably good for at least 10 spots higher than that. Uh, But they're projected to beat Central Michigan by 18. Uh, They're projected to beat UMKC by 13. And then they're projected to beat Northern Illinois by 20. So these are all games that are uh 90-ish percent and higher win probabilities. Uh, of win probability games that you should absolutely win and certainly like anything's possible in the game of basketball uh you don't want to you know count victories here um but that's how i like and i think that smart coaches will set their schedules up in smart ways and i think Conzo knew that there were certain games he was not going to be able to get around and so they kind of front loaded and got like these games <laughs> Yeah. And early against teams that w- won't look terrible uh, on your resume at the end of the year, but certainly games that you should win. Uh, and it's really going to give, really, you know, I think the the, the, the transfers as much as the freshmen, uh, the, you know, the opportunity to acclimate with each other, to play together, uh, to have, you know, a reasonable expectation of what they can be and what they can accomplish together before they have to travel to Jacksonville and take on SMU. Yeah, that's always been the the lingering thing for me is just how how long is it going to take to get the chemistry right here? You know, everyone says the all the right things in preseason. You know, hey, we've come together faster than we thought, and you know, this group's really got good cohesion. But again, you want to see it, you know, in live fire drills here. I, you know, I think you know most of us, if you look at the rotation, can you know suss out you know who we think you know, maybe not the starting five, but guys we expect to kind of see prominently, you know, it would probably be Kobe Brown, Jerron Coleman, you know, those two are, to me, you seem like, you know, you can lock them in for roles in this, you know, lineup. I, I think you're probably going to see, you know, I think you'll probably see Dejuan Gordon in some capacity, um, you know, but maybe pick it at the wing. Combo guard to me is where it's sort of open and, you know, what they do at the five is sort of a floater thing here, but I think you can, I sort of lean that you have a good sense of what they'll do with those three positions. And, you know, then you'll have to gray, you know, Brookshire and, you know, Kata in some form, you know, whether or not they're, you know, how they sort of function in pecking order and as reserves, but you can kind of see how this team might set up, but I'm just sort of interested, you know, the one thing that you've been able to do with Zoe the last couple of years is, you could watch the first two or three games and you could really get a sense for what his substitution pattern was, when guys would come in, when guys would come off, when certain lineups would go on. 
So I think that's what I'm interested in. I think we know kind of, you know, what a loose pecking order is going to be, but I'm really sort of interested in just sort of how he manages the rotation and how he tries to, you know, facilitate, you know, that, you know, or try and make that process, you know, as fast as possible to get these guys used to playing with each other and gelling and a sense of rhythm for each other. Because I think that's the biggest thing too is, you know, we could talk about how fast they'll come together. It's, you know, roles matter. And how quickly does this lineup sort of, you know, break down into that and how soon can guys sort of have that stability and expectation night in and night out about what they're going to do. So I think that's good for the first three games because you can kind of really experiment and, but also get guys comfortable if you feel like you've got a good sense of that. So what can Missouri fans expect um, from central Michigan? Uh, 10 new bodies um, and a new coach. Um, Tony Barbie. A familiar face. Um, he was the coach at Auburn when Missouri joined the SEC, right? Yep. Um, and then was really, he was, I was at the SEC tournament when the AD came in and said the next day, we've relieved Tony of his duties. And everyone in the room knew who the other guy was going to be. So it was, it was, uh, that's the last time I remember seeing Tony was kind of a dead man walking situation and just waiting for the press release or the news on. Bruce Pearl to come in and take over for him. So, and uh, then Tony went and worked uh, back under his good friend John Calipari for a while, uh, and then after last year's disaster of a season, um, Calipari did some restructuring, and one of the restructures was to find a good job uh, for his buddy Tony, and he did. He 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 dropped him. At Central Michigan. Where is Central Michigan located? Is that Kalamazoo? I know that's Western Michigan. Okay. I know it's the, the, the Chippewas. Go Chips! Fire up Chips! I do know that. That's all I got. Um, you don't remember? No, I do not. I do not. I know that Eastern Michigan's in Ypsilanti, and I know that Kalamazoo is home to uh, Western Michigan. Central Michigan, I, I, I can't say. I, it's not Grand Rapids or anything. Or it's not. I don't know where it is. I can't remember where it is, but um, yeah. they are, they were, I think sub two fifty in Ken Palm last year. They fired Keno Davis who Keno had pretty much just like gone full bore, like pace and space, you know, was running and gunning. Tony came in and said, we are going to switch that up a little bit. Um, Mount Pleasant. Mount Pleasant. So that's, that's sort of the interesting thing here. Stylistically, Tony. Right in the palm of the mitten. <laughs> you, you knew you knew i had to make that joke I, I know i know you did um but tony uh tony's weird he's played fast at utep then he played slow at auburn but um he's a, you can tell he's definitely from the cal coaching tree because that dude loves big dudes he like went out and got three or four transfers that were all like taller than 610 um they're not like lumbering bigs. They're kind of like, um, I'm trying to think here. Uh, if you've seen a Kentucky big, they're kind of long, lean. They're more rollers than post-up guys. They're rim runners. Um, they're guys you find in the short corner, and they're really there to anchor your back line. But he went out and got a lot of those and uh, went to the mid-major uh, or low-major uh, ranks to kind of pull some guys up and see if they can uh, give him some juice offensively on the perimeter, but it's still 10 new guys uh, on a, on a roster that was not very good anyway. So this is, if you think Missouri's rebooting, um, they just ripped everything down to the studs in Mount Pleasant. And it seems like they're, they're trying to quickly get the roster to one that, fits what Tony wants. I'm just not sure it's the highest in components there. So uh, it'll be interesting to see how that sort of fits together for them. Yeah. that I mean, that's definitely a weird hire. Uh, they showed a lot of patience. With Kino, um, yeah. Yeah, with Kino. He was there for like a, a while. He was there for a while. Um, I'm going to pull this up real quick because I'm curious. Uh, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine. Yeah, almost a decade. I thought I was gonna say it was about a decade. Um, and it looks like they 
almost got it going there for a little while. Uh, 23 wins, 21 wins, 23 wins. But, I mean, the Mac, the Mac is... Uh, so, you know, the Mac's footprint is very similar to the Big Ten. And I feel like the Mac and the Big Ten... So, like, it, it's like the Big Ten junior and the, the, the way that... Um, there's always like some really good skilled big dudes who aren't particularly athletic. Um, they've got they've typically got pretty good guard play. It's a, it's a good league. Um, so I I do like that that you know Kanza went out and got a couple max schools to sort of open up with because I you know I think that at the end of the year even even if those teams are sub 300 and Kempom, like, you know, they may be able to pick up, you know, a couple wins in conference that'll, you know, boost the profile a little bit. Yeah. I'm, I'm just, I just don't know. I'm more fascinated on what Tony's going to do tomorrow night because he's got, you know, Jermaine Jackson is a transfer point guard. Who's a scoring point who's six feet tall and, you know, but not a good pick and roll passer can't score really well around the rim. You know, wants to shoot a lot of, he's a inefficient, you know, scoring guard in the middle as your point. They got Cam Healy, who was, I think had multiple injuries and barely played last year, like Albany and the kid's a pretty good, uh, spot up shooter, but he also wastes a ton of possessions on like pull-ups and, you know, They've got a kid named Roth Basanti. I hope I'm saying his name right. Who is kind of a jack of all trades. Like again, a bit undersized, but he's like a roller. He's, he'll get on the glass. He'll run the floor. Now Andre Polk is a kid I saw a couple of times. Um, who's it out of I think the Detroit area, and you know, long, lean frame, but not a traditional post-up player. But you can bang him and knock him around on the block. Like all, like I'm just not sure what this roster really is right now because he's got bigs who you know, aren't going to like anchor themselves on the, you know, and just take a post entry, but he has guards who aren't really efficient at distributing to rolling <laughs> bigs and who want to play in the mid range where the bigs are sometimes trying to duck in. So I'm just, I'm curious what this roster looks like and how they're going to play tomorrow night. Cause I think they're going to have more raw size than Missouri will, but I feel like, in the post they will, but I feel like in almost every other position, Missouri's going to have more length on the perimeter defensively against guys who struggle against length on the perimeter. So it'll be, it'll be interesting to watch tomorrow night, kind of what central Michigan, you know, what, what this lineup looks like and how they're going to try and play. I think Zoe basically said last week that they don't have any like real good scouting information because there weren't like, there weren't like scrimmages or anything and Central Michigan only played like one like exhibition game against a D2. So there's not like a lot of real good scouting on this group. Yeah. So it'll be interesting how that plays out. What's interesting, uh, Central Michigan is the alma mater of Rayshon Simmons, uh, who is Webster Gross graduate. Uh, and if you if you want the uh, the you know the history of you know me and my my coaching, uh, Rayshon was an incoming freshman, so he was uh, going to be a freshman um, the summer that was like the last summer that I was coaching. Um, so like he went up with us to like the Mizzou camp, uh, turned into a really really nice high school player. Uh, went to JUCO for a year. Went to Central Michigan for uh, th three years and had a really nice little career there. I think he's still playing overseas a little bit. Nice, nice. So there's there's your uh, your connection to the Dive Cuts podcast and Central Michigan. Um, Matt, how often do you think it's been since or uh, that Missouri football and basketball has opened with the same school? They matter tweeted about this at some point in the fall, and I can't remember, but it's probably been a while. Yeah, I don't remember. I didn't. I didn't actually look it up. This isn't like a Gary Parish trivia time, um, but it 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 is a little bit of an outlier. It doesn't feel like this is something that happens very often. 
No, I mean, it's nice that they're supporting the the Central Michigan University Athletic Department with buy games. It's very, very nice in Missouri to ship that money to the mitten. Very nice. <laughs> I would, like the over under on references to the mitten on this podcast. We should have set that at the uh, at the beginning. Um, I would have said four and a half, and I think we're still at the under. So uh, we are. It's, it's uh, a I'm going to steer the conversation away before we we get any more yeah. in. Um, UMKC follows that up. Uh, we will podcast after watching Central Michigan and UMKC. Uh, so we will have two whole basketball games to go on before we comment on this basketball team. Matt. Uh, what are your expectations for the the ruse? I would expect that they've also done quite a bit of a roster overhaul there. We know they lost Brandon McKissick, who was kind of an all-conference player for them. They've gone out and you know, I think they've had to try and, and do what a lot of teams did, which is try and go and find guys who, at least what I've noticed when I've gone through and at least looked at my sort of previews for the mid-majors, they've tried to go in and, I think, find a lot of role guys. I think that's or, or guys that are going to be able to give them 9, 10, 11 points a night and see if they can spackle together something. Now, UMKC, I'm pulling up my scouting notes on them. Uh, UMKC has um, a really, really nice kind of like stretch four in Josh Alec. Uh, average 15 and six last year. Um, obviously McKissick was kind of the lead guy for them, but the one thing that they've been doing for him right now is they've been having him sort of like operate more as a ball handler for them, which will be interesting. Um, and they kind of want to play more five out around him. Um, but he's six, eight, two forty, So he's got some, he's got a sturdy frame, but he's pretty mobile and comfortable in space can face up a little bit. Um, you know, the only other guy that they really brought in that looks like, is gonna you know have any real seat time and experience is some kid named Evan Gilliard who averaged nine points and New Mexico State um really solid you know low to mid major program out in the whack um but th- they're really gonna be hoping that Alec Gilliard and another came kid named Arkel Lamar are all pretty good I think um after that it's you know a bunch of kind of you know, they got a kid named Marvin Nesbitt who's come back with ten and six um but the rest of that is like a pair of Richard sophomores. They've got two international freshmen and a couple of JUCOs coming in. So it's a, a fair bit of uh, amount of experience here. Cause they do have one, two, three uh, graduate uh, yeah. seniors. Yeah. They went out and like I said, they went out and they got guys who are nine to 10 points a game, veteran guys who are going to plug in and, but they're going to need Alec to really kind of drive that for them. And that's really, but the nice thing is that, you know, they've, they've got a, you know, Billy Donlin's got a a central piece to build around, which um, I don't think Central Michigan does at all. Um, but I, I like getting Gilly. You know, New Mexico State was, I think, like something like 40 and 20 while he was out there. So he's played on winning teams at that level. You know, Lamar's a small guy. He's almost kind of like a Deshaun Murray type. He's like 6'5", 235. It's kind of a, a bruiser, kind of that tweener type. You know, Nesbitt and, you know... Cop. How many people are going to remember Deshaun Murray? I just looked at, I watched some tape of Lamar. I'm like, this guy, he's just kind of, <laughs> he's squatting. So that, that was the, 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 the dude on Auburn, Auburn. Uh, who played a lot of four and even some five. And he was like six, four. And they played small. Uh, and he was good in that role. Like, yeah. He was, he was fantastic at it because he knew what he was and what his game was. But he was a transfer to Auburn. Yeah. He too, came right? out of, he was a, he was a Presbyterian transfer. Um, and I remember just Bruce saying like that reason he loved him because he thought his mentality was great and, you know, set a good culture for them. But that's kind of what they're going with here is, you know, a lot of skill and kind of a, a stretch for an Alec. And then they're just going to put some older guys around him and see what happens. Um, but they, they really need three or four of those old guys to, to hit, to be competitive there. Um, but uh, yeah, and then he transferred out of Auburn and went to Western Kentucky. Yeah, yeah. Bruce Bruce loved him so much he ran him off. Yeah, yeah. What a shame. Um. So I. <laughs> Sorry. No. The, just I, I think you. I think UMKC, our, our podcast here. I think UMKC is going to be a better indicator or a better test for this team. Just. I think because Donlin's been there, he's established, and he's got some pieces. Back. He's a good coach. Yeah, I think he's doing. He's got them on about as good of a directory as you can for that sort of that sort of program. Um, but 
So it makes sense. You know, you're going to get Tony Barbie, who's completely gutted his roster and has no continuity to a team that lost some significant pieces, but has a focal point and a couple veterans. And then they'll get NIU, which is, you know, a lot like Central Michigan. It only returns like one starter. And then they went out, they have a new coach, and he just, um, Rashawn Bruno, who, Bruno, 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 Sean Bruno, who is AD said, you're not under any pressure in the next two to three years, go out and get long-term pieces. So it'll be interesting. You know, I think Tony Barbie's trying to do a quick flip. Donlin's trying to, I think, you know, find a middle way there. And Bruno has been told by his AD, you've got time, build something that's pretty durable. Um, but all of them are winnable games. Um, so it'll be interesting to see how Missouri, how efficiently Missouri dispatches those teams and if they and if they can do that just how you know creative can they get and how you know weird and wacky can they get with their rotations that's another thing i tend to look at is are they able to put teams away quickly enough that they can sort of experiment and tinker um but the schedule sets up for that pretty well yeah so three games uh against teams that should not really challenge Missouri. Obviously, like we think UMKC has enough to sort of make it a little more interesting. Um, and this is all dependent on Missouri actually, you know, being worth a damn, which of course we have no idea. Um, so I like I want to kind of pivot a little bit and see if we can try and determine what our expectations are, um, what maybe the low end, what the high end. Um, like, what is the range for this team? Is it possible they make an NCAA tournament? Like, what what does an NCAA tournament from this team look like? Um, they're gonna have to pick off. You had to pick off two of three SMU, Wichita State, and Liberty. You know, I, I, or Utah. I think you've got to get two or three or three or four out of that to swing it. I think you've got just to get to eight or nine non-con wins um uh, you know i think because the sec and we talked about it last week with with blake level if you haven't listened to the podcast here's a plug for it go listen uh blake's always good but the sec is not great but i think it's really good and deep yeah I, i i think it i don't think there's elite teams here like you would see in the big 10 but i think there's depth you know, I don't know if you'd ha- say if there's many top 10 teams, but there are a lot of teams, I think I pointed out in the preview that I did, that there's a lot of teams between 13 and 25. So there's good depth in this league, you know, in the top six to seven. If you can, you know, if, if you want to even go down, you know, to eight, there's probably like eight teams between like 13 and 45. So there's good depth if there's not like just top end elite talent, top end elite uh, pieces on rosters here. But I, I mean, I, I really believe that, I mean, the outlier for me is Georgia. Yeah, Georgia. Right? Georgia. I think is horrible. Yeah, Georgia's terrible. Um, I, I don't love South Carolina's roster, but we've been here before. I think Texas it, A&M doesn't look like they're going to be good, but we've been here before. Like, these are the games right now that I look at that are in the lean or pick them categories. If you like look at projected margins by like Haslametrics, Torvik and Kempom, these are your lean games and pick them games. SMU, Loyola Marymount, um, Wichita State, Liberty, Utah, um, home against Mississippi State, um, home against Texas A&M, home against Auburn, home against Florida, at A&M, at Vandy, home against Ole Miss, and home against Arkansas. So those are those are pretty much most of your lean games. There's like, I'd imagine, 10, 11, 12 lean games or pick em games at this point. So... I think you've got to find a way to, to have a winning record again in those games because I mean, the losses right now are, are, are pretty clear. Like Kansas is no matter where you look, that's 
projected to be a 17-point loss. Illinois, 12-point loss. Kentucky, 13-point loss. At Arkansas, you know, 12-point loss. At Ole Miss, 8-point loss. At Alabama, 13-point loss. Um, Mississippi State, away, 8-point loss. At LSU, 10-point loss. Like, there are games here, if you look at the forecasted margins on them, that are um, pretty solid here. But you have a lot of games that sort of float in that 2-5 to point range that I think I would can that are one to two possession games that I think are, are games you've got to find a way to flip. And I think if you're, you know, win totals are always a terrible barometer because who you beat, but I think you've got to find a way probably to 18 wins to talk yourself into the bubble. Cause that would probably be nine and three in non-con and nine and nine in the sec, depending on who you knock off and picked off. I think that's what you'd have to do to get yourself into the bubble is probably 18 wins. So I think, and this sort of extends into a little bit of the conversation that I was, you know, but we were having a little bit last week is, is so you're using a lot of preseason metrics to, to project, you know, win probabilities and all that stuff around certain games. I'm talking like there's probably going to be one or two teams in the SEC where things go sideways for them. That one of them could be Missouri. And I I'm saying that up front because I think what I'm talking about is is a scenario where like there's a lot of things that we've we've put into the preseason metrics, but a lot of metrics are tend tend to be based upon previous seasons. Last year was a disaster for metrics. We didn't have enough non-con games to play to get a good idea. Um, there were, I mean, Missouri, from a metric standpoint, were really probably shouldn't have even been in the NCAA tournament, and yet they were safely in by all accounts. Um and so I think like that's kind of what I'm like Texas A&M is a team who two seasons ago won, went 10 and 8. They were objectively terrible from a metric standpoint. They won some close games. Uh, when they lost, they tend to lose pretty badly. And then so last year we kind of thought hey, this A&M team doesn't look great, but they, they should be pretty good and they've got some pieces. Uh, and then they had a month of like just – not being able to play at all. Yeah, I think, but you can still look at broadly. I, you know, stepping away from, like, I look at it this way. There's a pool of 18 games that, like, even set away that, like, you, yeah, we don't want to, like, get too into the weeds of individual game probabilities or margins, but there are 18 games that are between, that have Missouri as a four point favorite all the way down to a six point underdog. So swinging it either way is a one possession favorite to a two possession underdog. There's 16 games there. That to me is like you've got to find a way if you're going to make the tournament to, you know, probably win a majority of those. Just because the wins here are pretty clear. Like there's Paul Quinn College, which won't even probably count. Eastern Illinois, Central Michigan, Northern Illinois, UMKC, and Georgia. I think you and I would feel pretty good even setting aside analytics that those should be notch those in the win column, right? You you feel good about putting those there? Those those six games safely in the win column? Uh I, I mean sure. And then there's Alabama away, Ole Miss away, Mississippi State away, LSU away, Arkansas away, Illinois neutral, Alabama away, Kentucky away, Kansas away. Maybe Missouri flips one or two of them, but in most of those games, you know, those eight games, I feel pretty confident saying Missouri's going to be a, you know, three possession or more underdog. So six and eight is what the record is. You know, if you were to just take straight wins and losses, which I would feel fine with. So it's really, can Missouri find a way to go to get 10 or 12 more wins out of, you know, the games that are somewhere in the middle? Like that, that to me is sort of where I look at it. Or if they split them, then they wind up somewhere close to like 14 and 16. And that's sort of where I've come down is I think no matter how this all works out, I think just looking at 
you know, even as I went game by game, no matter how I flipped it, I wound up at 14, 16 as sort of my number, as sort of my baseline. So they've got to find a way to flip three or four more games to get into the NIT or bubble conversation for the NCAA tournament. So that's, that's how I looked at it. Um, yeah. Okay. So on the, the flip sides, I think my struggle here is I was not really looking at analytics, like what Missouri has to do from a win loss perspective and winning certain contests. I was more looking at like the roster ah. and the impact of certain players and who oh, we can do that too. might need to outplay expectations. Who does Missouri need to do X, Y, Z versus, you know, they need to win X home game, you know, because my, my whole thing with like, you know, the projections and the analytics is again, like it, it all works to a degree right now, but things happen during the season that like an algorithm cannot project. So Alabama is projected to be very good. Uh, and a, according to Ken Palm, a top 20 team, Alabama comes to play at Missouri January 8th. They are a six point win probability. Um, you know, but if Javon Quinterly gets suspended and Jaden Shackelford, you know, tweaks his ankle. Yeah, but I mean, suddenly, you're asking Missouri, me to make like, it. I, right, and so, like, that's kind of what I mean. Like, it, it is, what, like, would it surprise me if Missouri beat Alabama at home? Not really. I Like, no home game win against anybody in the SEC will ever surprise me because this conference eats itself a lot. It's it. There's 14 really good basketball coaches. There's rosters that 13 of them <laughs> were, were going to omit Georgia because I think everybody resoundingly does not like what, what's going on in Athens. Uh, but 13 rosters, which can legitimately win any game. Uh, and it would not surprise you. Um, you know, maybe South Carolina, you know, going on the road and beating Kentucky and Rupp, that would surprise you. But who knows? I'm talking like, okay, so for Missouri to be an NCAA tournament team, they need who to do what? They need Jerron Coleman probably to take firm grasp of the point guard position. They, they, I, this offense, you know, can they need him to be the guy that he was down the stretch for Ball yeah, State? Yeah, they need, but the thing is, that guy could also play off the ball and shot the ball really well. So they need, someone to take the reins fully at point guard to me that's Jerron Coleman right now just because historically when freshman point guards have been getting a lot of run unless they're truly elite prospects it's been a bad sign so I think you need and Davis was not a, a, a pure point at his last stop um and no disrespect to Caleb Brown but if Caleb Brown is um coming in and excelling at point guard <laughs> then it's that's such we, an outlaw. We, we will all be surprised. We will all be surprised. So <laughs> it's so it's got to be Jerron Coleman, I think, really taking control of that point guard position. I think you need, conversely, I think you need to figure out a rotation in the front court. Is it Kata, who's going to, you know, kind of be a more mobile five and, you know, going to be a roller, you know, a pop guy, you know, someone who can kind of, you know, who may not get as many post touches. You can't play off as much as you could as Tillman, but there's got to be a post rotation that that's pretty well delineated and lineups that work around it. Um, whether that's Brazil, Cato or Wilmore, they've got to find someone in the post. That's going to work well there. My inclination is that it's that Cato might be the best one to sort of take over the reins early there. So can he settle in quickly? They've got to find one or two floor spacers that can knock down shots consistently. Um, Coleman can shoot the ball really well or had a 13-game sample size. We'll see if that regresses back. It almost certainly will. I don't think he's going to knock down 50% of his catch and shoots again. But can he be a guy that's a 35 36%, 37% shooter out there 
they're going to need that. They had that last year. They had three guys who shot 35 plus percent on catch and shoots and spot ups. They need that. Your best options are probably going to be Coleman Brookshire in some sort of reserve role. And then, you know, can Davis stretch his range a little bit, but they need one or two shooters to be effective to keep the spacing right. Um, Defensively, what do they look like? I think that they're going to be a little bit more switchable. They're going to be able to create transition opportunities there. So what's the defensive rotation that looks like there? I tend to think that it would be, my pick would probably be Coleman, Davis, Gordon, and you know Brown, and maybe you, you play a little bit smaller at times at the four, but you want to be switchable and you want to be able to have guys that get out and, and can play in the run, on the run a little bit. I think that's what they need. They need solid point guard. They need to have some sort of big situation settled. They need two jump shooters, and they've got to find a way maybe to, to juice the transition game a little bit more. Do that. And I think that they can they can offset some of the production that they lost offensively and, and be pretty sound. So that's not specific players, but those are the conditions I think they need. No, I think that works. Yeah. Um. Yeah, I think that's kind of what like that's more where I think like the discussion is. So for me, like, and kind of pivoting a little bit back to analytics. Um, one of the reasons why I think Missouri is a little undervalued in the analytics is, you know, again, I mentioned like, you know, Ken Palm has the projected defensive uh, efficiency ranked 102nd uh, and the offense at 97th. If, um, if the defense is 102nd, that would be Kanza Martin's worst defense by like 30 spots since he's been in Columbia. And I kind of don't think that this team is going to be a worse defensive team than one that had to feature Xavier Pinson um, with as, as many minutes as he, 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 played the last couple of years um like i i think that a realistic possibility for missouri is to be top 60 in defense which would put them you know really about what they've been so last year they were 57th uh two years ago 71st three years ago 51st Four years ago, 43rd. So I think if if you get into that range of defense, it's going to allow you to have a few more hiccups uh, offensively. And I fully expect this team to be an unfinished product offensively. And we talked but, about and we talked about it a little bit before we came on. Where this team is going to be a little bit different is, you know, people talk about Tillman being gone. And you know, Mitchell Smith has moved out. You know, Mitch wasn't a great shooter at times, but he could still complete plays around the rim. Missouri's shifted away from guards who really struggled. Mark Smith was not good finishing at the rim. Xavier Benson, not good finishing at the rim. Drew Bugs, not good finishing at the rim. So they've got guys now that are pretty good rim finishers or have more size or at least shown a knack for doing that or they've got a guy like Amari Davis who can play in the mid-range a little bit so I think that's where offensively I, I kind of think they can mitigate things a little bit what they need to do is just keep ball handling and jump shooting pretty steady and hope that the transfer guards they brought in can really ease the pressure on their bigs to you know be you know kind of the drivers of that interior offense and to your point about defense, if Zoe can get this team to where they're able to play in transition a little bit more, where they can turn defense into offense while still, you know, remaining sixty or seventy, then I think there's some cushion there as well because they're going to be able to get out and get some easy buckets against teams that aren't in a set defense. So that's that's sort of where I look at. It. I think they've got guys that if it goes well, can convert some of the defense into some offense for them. And that eases 
some of the demands they might see in the half court. Yeah. So I think that's kind of where for, you know, for me, the expectations are a little bit higher than maybe some of the analytics. Um, you know, I think Sagarin came out a couple of days ago and it was in Missouri 65th. Um, yeah, yeah. I mean, to me that that feels more about what I expect from Council Martin. Um, I you know I realize there's a lot of people that don't like Council Martin, but I mean outside of a year when like Jonte's sophomore year where they thought they were gonna have everything kind of running through Jonte, and then two weeks before the season he tears his ACL. Outside of that year, uh, he's. He's been really pretty good in the SEC. He hasn't been great, but he's been pretty good. And I, I kind of think that that's why I'm a little more hopeful about the results of the season, uh, you know, is because I just think his track record is to to be at least decent. <laughs> so well, I expect I expect them to be good defensively and adequate enough offensively to win enough games to probably be in the conversation for the NIT, um, you know, and, and if they are in the NIT or just outside the NIT, like it, it is what it is. Uh, I, but to me, like, that's what I'm going to be watching. Like how good is this team going to be defensively? Um, how switchable are they? Uh, we've talked about positionless defense now for, for, for years. And this is really the first, uh, you know, time where you're, there's a possibility where you could run one through five and switch one through five. Um, obviously not with Jordan Wilmore on the floor, but mm-hmm. um, you know, but I think you could probably do that with Kaida. And if you play Brazil at the five, I think that's a possibility. Yeah. Depending on the um, coverage you play in ball screens, if what you do with and, them. And... and yeah, realistically, like I think it's very possible you see minutes of Kobe Brown at the five. I think you could see, uh, you know, DeGray at the five also. So, you know, it's one of those things like it's tomorrow. And again, uh, next week, we finally get to watch this team play. I'm excited to watch for those reasons. Uh, I want to see what they look like. And then, you know, maybe next podcast, we'll be back talking about how bad they are and and how this is a team that uh, hopefully will just stay ahead of Georgia. Yeah. uh, That happens if they lose one of these three games, I think I, you know, it was, you could even, I just remember watching Kim's first team and you're like, eh, there's growing pains. And then there's what happened in UMKC against the opener where you were like, okay, yeah, that's, that's not just an off sort of night that, that there's some more structural things wrong here. This thing, this, this thing was not assembled correctly. Therefore it's not functioning properly. So I, barring that, you know, if Missouri's, you know, ahead 15 or 20 and they try a lineup that just gets creamed on the floor for two or three minutes, whatever, if it doesn't put the game in doubt, rather, you know, let Zoe tinker and play with the parts here and see what fits together. And, you know, if there's a, a few stilted periods or, you know, some stretches that don't look great fine so long as the outcome's pretty comfortable and they feel like they're able to to do what they need to do to to get the steam ready to go so i would recommend that everybody um who listens to this podcast if you haven't already you can head to rockmnation.com uh on the site there is a link kind of at the bottom of the header you can see it says preseason 21-22 Mizzou basketball previews, recruiting, and more. Uh, I would recommend clicking on that. If you click on that, uh, you can read all of our preseason covers before this game. And I'm pretty sure, Matt, I'm not willing to make bets here, but I'm pretty sure if you start tomorrow morning, you could read everything that we published before the tip-off at 7 p.m. You probably could. Um, your work productivity would suffer though. I mean, it's, it is what it is. What, what's more important here? Uh, if you don't have that much time and I understand that I would recommend reading, uh, Matt's, uh, spaced out, a uh, little piece that we published, uh, earlier this morning. Um, 
again, it's Monday, November 8th, so it was published on Monday uh, morning, November 8th. Uh, really good piece on uh, what sort of Missouri needs to do to um, improve some of its shooting numbers. Uh, and also, if you have time, um, I would really recommend uh, our new friend, uh, Matt Watkins, who uh, tweets under the handle Data Mizzou. Um, he also wrote, I love that we had Pace and uh, Space as the, the, the last two uh, pieces. Um, as he looked into Missouri's pace and its record, uh, which I really thought was an interesting uh, look into uh, how successful Missouri was in specific uh, you know, games and when they were playing with sort of specific tempo. Uh, recommend that. Uh, and then if you haven't, uh, go check out all the SEC Hoops previews that I work so diligently on. Matt, last night was the first night in months where I didn't have something to write. And it felt weird. Um, like I picked up my laptop and I was like, I don't, I don't have anything to write. This is weird. Yeah, now now you now, now you just get to focus on, you know, firing back up again. And Yeah. Uh so study hall um will be coming. We'll be uh we'll be looking at the numbers and, and how they played out. Uh make sure that you are subscribed to this podcast. If you do, it, it sort of just teleports right into your phone. You can listen to it on any commute, uh, or at home, wherever you uh, are most comfortable listening to our podcast. Um, you also will get the wonderful Before the Box Score pod, which uh, are still, still going twice a week, Matt. Despite Missouri's uh, traitorous season here, we're now playing freshman quarterback, uh, quarterbacks, actually, um, and, and going into a game against South Carolina, which well, could be pretty interesting. going to be an interesting game this weekend. Uh, but listen to BK and, and Nate. Those guys did a good job. Anything else uh, you want to add before we get out of here? It's basketball season. Thank the Lord it's here. It is. It is here. I've been watching the NBA for weeks. Um, he's Matt. I'm Sam. Uh, we'll be back next week with more dive cuts. Thanks for tuning in.